You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of review. We do have some folks who weren't here last week, and I'm going to do a little bit of review. We started talking about this idea of open the eyes of my heart um, last week, and I want to pick up on that again this morning. And basically what we're talking about is this truth that God has, through Jesus Christ, already made provision for every challenge we will ever face. And and I think I broke it this way last week, and I like this, that he's provided for our needs, but usually we think of that of as, you know, things that I need for me or for my family or something. That's true. He has provided for that. But we also, every one of us, we are called to be a part of his kingdom. We have an assignment in the earth. You have people in your sphere of influence that I will never touch. And your assignment, my assignment, is to carry the life and the presence of Jesus into those places and bring freedom and bring the life that he came to give us. And that doesn't just mean preaching at people. It means we are bringing his life that he has given to us and we are bringing his word, his message. We are bringing his His power, his life into people's lives so that just like we have experienced, their lives can be changed and they can be transformed and, and things can they can experience all of that. So so that's our assignment. So part of the provision that he's already made is for that. And and it's really important that when we're out there and we're you know we're praying for people or we're just seeing needs in their life and we're wanting to know how can I how can I minister? How can I bring Christ into this? It's important for us to know in that place that you know what he's already made provision for that need. It's not my need, but he's put me in that place to be a vessel in that place, he's made a provision. Because we all feel inadequate at that point a lot of the time. But what we have to realize is we're supposed to, in a sense, we're supposed to in our own selves and our own flesh and things we can think of and the, you know, the training we've had, the experiences we've had, those are all fine. But without the presence of God on that, without the Holy Spirit flowing through that, it's pretty weak. Uh, we didn't get saved just by good ideas. We got saved by an encounter with Jesus Christ, every one of us. And you can think back to that. And you can remember it. Well, that's what that other person needs too. And God has already made provision for that. Changes the way that we pray. And we talked about this last week that when we understand this, when we really have this in our hearts, God's already provided it's already there. I don't have it in my possession yet, but it is there in the in the spiritual realm. In a you know, again, I don't really like this terminology, even though the Bible uses it, but it's in essentially a heavenly account, and we'll look at that today. I mean, that's the language the Bible uses through what Jesus did. But when we understand that He's already provided that the provision is there. And so it's not up to us to get God to do something new. It's not up to us to figure out how to do it on our own, certainly. It's uh, our role is connecting with the Lord and receiving what he's already done by faith, whether that's into our lives or for distribution to others. But what that uh, enables us to do is live in a place of hope and gratitude when we don't have to figure everything out, when God doesn't have to move again and do something new every time something pops up in our lives, when we understand, wait a minute, he already knew this was coming. He already provided for this. 
that changes our perspective and it certainly changes our prayer life to one that comes from a place of hope. It comes from a place of gratitude. We can begin our prayers just thanking God for what he's already done. And, and we don't have to constantly be trying to convince him of things, all right? It also, knowing that, allows us to pray accurately and without doubt. It allows us to look into the word and see the promises of God. All the promises of God, it says, are yes and amen in Christ. And so we can look into the word, we can see the promises of God, we can see the provision he's made, and we can pray from that place. That makes sense to you? We can pray from that place. So we're not always, we may feel, you know, inadequate or like we don't have the answer yet, and likely we don't, but it's already there and he's willing to give it to us. And that's just a different place to be than just feeling like I have to start over every time there's a need. So we're not going to go back to all these verses today. I'm just going to mention them to you. If you weren't here last week and, you know, you can pick up the podcast, you can go to our website, you can pick up the podcast, you can get the YouTube video, uh, you can interact with it in different ways and and uh, get the message from last week because there's a lot of foundation there that we don't have time to go back through. But we did begin this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. And this was where Elijah the prophet was there and, and a series of things had gone on. And uh, the, this whole army had come out against him and his servant. And the servant said, what are we going to do? We're really in trouble. I am paraphrasing here. And, um, and Elisha asked the Lord to open his eyes so that he could see the provision that was already there. And when the servant's eyes were opened, he saw this entire angelic army around them. And what Elisha had said to him is, those who are with us, are far greater than those who are with them. And and so and then he prayed that prayer that the servant's eyes be opened. And so that's kind of the point is those that angelic army didn't uh show up come on the scene when the servant's eyes were open, but the servant's life totally changed and his attitude changed when his eyes were open. The provision was already there, it just wasn't visible. And we see this throughout the scripture. And we're going to look at some of those verses today. So I don't want, we are, we, our role is to connect with the Lord in a way that we can actually walk by faith, faith that sees into the spiritual provision and live our lives out of that instead of walking by sight, by what we can see out here. That's, you know, that is the, the challenge and the growth point and the uh, place for, for every one of us. I just want to tag this on here. This is kind of a sidebar from what we're actually talking about, but I passed over it last week and then it came up at our worship night last Sunday. But if you read through this chapter in Second Kings, uh, God sends this angelic army to protect the prophet. And at this point, the servant's eyes become open to that. But then what happens? You would assume that what happened would be uh, that the, the army that was there against the prophet would, would then get, you know, would get wiped out or would uh, something would happen to them, that the angelic army, that provision, would, would, make, the, the, uh, would make something happen. But that's not what, what happened. What happened was the servant's eyes were open to that. Then Elisha 
prayed that, that the army that was standing against him would go blind, and they did. And then he led them into the city. He led them into, at that time it was Samaria, but it was where the king of Israel was. He led them into the city. So now that whole army is captive to the army of Israel. And so the king says to Elisha, should we kill him? And Elisha says, no, don't kill him, feed him. And, and so they opened the eyes of this army that they let in that was now in captivity. They opened their eyes. I'm sure every one of them thought they were dead. But what the Lord did there instead was have the army of Israel feed this other army and send them home. And, it, and the whole point of that is just that God has some really unusual ways of winning battles in our lives. And even if we see, you know, and we become aware of some big manifestation like that, the important thing is that Elisha didn't, he, he didn't either just say, okay, those who are for us are a lot more than those who are against us. So those who are for us, we're just going to assume they're going to wipe out those who are against us. That wasn't what happened. And I guess my point is, Elisha continued to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God wanted to do in that situation and for those people. And the ultimate victory was won through feeding the enemy, not wiping out the enemy. And that's just like Jesus. So uh, it's just important. Again, it's a side note, except to say that as we're interacting with the Lord and as we're becoming more and more aware of things that maybe he's, he's done or providing or, or doing or changing around us, what that spiritual provision is, it's important that we don't just stop there. We never stop there. Our whole deal is about relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's ongoing. It is continuous. It is moment by moment. And so even when we see that provision, we need to know, okay, Lord, what do we do with that provision? What's the role of that provision? How much often, if it's a material provision, how much is bread for me to eat and how much is seed for me to sow? Because I know there's both here. You know, it's just that continuing place of pressing into God and doing the right thing with what is provided. That's really an important part of this whole thing. So, we looked also at these verses, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So all of that's important. He has blessed us. It's a done deal. We don't have to convince him to, to bring blessing to us. He's already done it. And that blessing is in the heavenly realm. All right. Um, And I'll just give you these three. I think we talked about these last week. But a lot of times, I think as we're in prayer, as we are looking for a need to be met for ourselves or for other people, again, whatever that might be, you know, uh, we get hung up on a, a few things if we don't understand that the provision's already there. And one of them is we're convinced that God, we've got to convince God through our prayer to move and to do something. Instead of understanding he already moved in Christ. We don't have to convince him he's already 
blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Instead of that, we spend a lot of energy trying to convince God that we have a need. And I want to say to you today that not only does he know ahead of time before you do that you're going to have that need, he's already provided for it. He's already provided for it. And so he he knows what your needs are. And Jesus said this. He also still told us to ask, which You know, it's one of those deals in the scripture. Jesus said, know that your father knows what you need before you know, but ask. He loves the interaction. He loves the relationship. He he needs to be honored in that. So ask, but don't ask. We don't have to spend a lot of time convincing him. Remember when they came to Jesus and they said, this person over here, uh, his daughter's sick. You need to go heal him. And you know why you need to go heal him? You need to go heal him because he gave a lot of money for building our temple. He's been a really good person. He was, he was a, a Roman. He's been a really good person to the Jews. And Jesus didn't even deal with that. He healed the person, but he didn't even, they tried to convince him because of how good this person was. God does, hasn't blessed us because of how good we are. He has blessed us because of what Jesus did. It's not based on our works and it's not held back by our works. Um, secondly, sometimes, uh, we think, well, I just said that we, we think we have to inform God of the problem and we don't. All right. And then finally, our prayer, particularly in our, the prayer faith is really hindered when we can't get the perspective that what Jesus has already provided, what he's already done, what is there for us in the invisible spiritual realm is more real than what we're seeing in the natural. And that is a tough one for all of us because we are so used to being driven by our five physical senses. We are so used to living our life as if what we see here is the ultimate reality. What I'm feeling today is the ultimate reality. What I heard is the ultimate reality. And we need to understand that everything that we can see, taste, hear, smell, feel is temporary. It's The Bible says it's brief, it's fleeting, it's gonna pass away. And the the spiritual heavenly realities are what's real. And I think that's just something we've got to go to the Lord about and let him impart to us. And we've got to work on uh, probably for the rest of our lives. Okay. So let's get into some new things this morning. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter one. And if I didn't do it already, I really encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, take it out and maybe have something to take some notes on. But Ephesians chapter one, verses 17 and 18, um, Again, I'm going to read these to you from the Amplified Bible. This is Paul, of course. And think about the fact that these prayers, this is a prayer I pray for you guys all the time. I've done it for decades. Uh, This prayer was recorded by the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. So it's a good prayer, all right? Um, So it says, beginning in verse 17, For I always pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the Amplified Bible puts this out in brackets. It says, of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. All right, so a couple of words there. 
I want to look at this term revelation. It simply means something that we can't see in the natural that the Holy Spirit unveils to us. It's what it means. We are to, in our interaction with the Lord, we are to get revelation knowledge, whether that's a piece of wisdom on how to approach something, whether it's an understanding of something he's provided, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is in the business of revealing the heart of God, the nature of God, the word of God to us. And that's what this term revelation means. So Paul prays that he would grant us a spirit of wisdom. And wisdom in the scripture means practical application of truth. It means knowing it's timely and practical application, not just of what we think, but of truth, of the word of God. That's what so often I need to know Lord, I see what your word says. How do I apply it? You know, how does it apply? How can I live it out in this situation? And he'll show us. That's godly wisdom. All right. Insight into mysteries and secrets. And whenever you see this term mysteries in the New Testament, again, it just speaks of something. It doesn't, it doesn't speak of something that God's hiding from you. It speaks of something that is not has not been seen, has not been known, and is generally it's that it's not perceivable, if that's a word, uh, with our natural eyes, ears, senses. It is something that has been hidden, hidden that is now being revealed. All right, that's when the Bible talks about mysteries in God. They are not something that God's keeping a mystery. They are something that hasn't been known that he is making known through the Holy Spirit. All right. So so it says uh, that he would grant you that spirit of wisdom and revelation, insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. And here's how. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. So obviously, you know, this term eyes of our heart refers to the fact, we talked about this last week, we are created with the ability to function and uh, to work and to walk in both the natural world and the spiritual world. And I don't, I don't know if that, I guess to some people that sounds spooky or something. This is just the way we were created. We're created for relationship with God and God is a spirit. You, you are a spirit too. And, and so there is, uh, we have in our hearts the ability to perceive what God is doing, what God is saying, uh, what he is desiring to bring to us. And the Bible calls that having the eyes of our heart flooded with light. When it's dark in a room, you trip over things. You can't see what's there. You're, you're, you know, you're kind of bumbling around. You're lost. We just got a black, pretty black. He's, he's, he's got some white on him. Not fully black, like his awful cousin that lives in Montana. No, she's a great cat too. Anyway, we just got this black kitten. And uh, man, in the morning, we don't have a lot of light in the house. And that cat, you cannot see that cat because even if it's just somewhat dark, you have to be really careful. You'll just look for kind of a little darker shadow, you know, so you don't step on them. But in the dark, we can't see things. We can't perceive things. So he's saying, I'm praying for you that your heart, the eyes of your heart, the spiritual perception of your heart would be flooded with light so that you can see 
so that you can see and know. And, and look what he says. He says, the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can. That's a pretty big, so that you can. In other words, without this, you can't, right? If, the, if having the eyes of your heart flooded with light means that you can know, then that means without that, you can't know, all right? So that you can know and understand the hope. And remember, biblical hope is confident expectation of good. It isn't wishing something would happen. That's how we use it in English. The Bible word means it is a confident anticipation of good coming from God. He says, we need the eyes of our heart flooded with light so that we can know and understand the hope to which he has called us. We are called to live in hope. We are not called to live in discouragement. We are not called to live a life that just every, you know, where there there are people out there, and I say this, this isn't critical. It's very sad. But whenever you try to talk to them about what's up in life and what's coming, everything they can see, everything they can anticipate is negative. And and that's all that's on the inside. Well, that probably won't work. Well, that's going to go down the drain. Well, then this will happen. I mean, there are people, it breaks my heart to to interact with people who, even when some blessing comes into their life, their expectation is for something to take that away from them. And it's terrible. They've been broken. They've been wounded. They've had experiences that God never intended for them. But what I want you to know today is the natural environment of the Christian is hope. I'm not talking about a, my mom used to say Pollyanna. I have no idea what that is. But anyway, this, you know, I'm not talking about just la-di-da. I don't know that anything's, you know, bad ever happens in life. I'm not talking about that. This is but a confident expectation that God has good things in store and he's bringing them in, in to our lives, okay? So it says, by having the eyes of our hearts flooded with light, we can know the hope to which he's called us. He's actually called us, invited us into that life and how, his, and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints. So let me say this to you quickly because I want to get to some other scriptures. It, it says here, you know, that we have to have the eyes of our heart enlightened. That means we need the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what enlightens us, is the influence. That's, what the, that's, who, that's the Holy Spirit's job, is to take the words of Jesus or take our, our prayers, our interaction with the Lord in times of worship, whatever, in those times, and to bring light, to reveal things to us, to show us what God's perspective is, what his direction is, what he wants to bring into that situation. We really don't have any business praying. I'm not saying we shouldn't, I guess, but it seems kind of silly for us to pray over things where we can see the problem, but we have no idea what God's solution is. And we also don't know what God's perspective is on the problem. A lot of times we think this other person is the problem when really we're the problem. And oftentimes the Lord will show that to us, not, not even in a condemning way, he wants to change us on the inside. Or we'll look at a situation in the earth and, and the Lord will have, he'll have, he'll say, feed the enemy instead of killing the enemy. You know, he'll bring a totally different perspective that's the kind of 
revelation that we need in our hearts. And it only comes through spending time with God and through trusting, spend time in his word and trust the Holy Spirit to bring things out. But the scripture tells us, and I'm not going to go back there and read it, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can read down through it. It it says several things. First of all, it says, um, I has not heard ear, I has not heard, my, my eyes here, I don't know about you. I has not seen, ear has not heard, and it's not entered into the mind uh, of people what God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed those things to us by his spirit. And he goes on, he talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit is searching the deep things of God and bringing those things to us. He's showing us what God's mind is, what his heart is. We can have that going on in our life so that we are approaching things from God's perspective and not just our own because ours is pretty small. It's very narrow. And he goes on and toward the end of that, or in the kind of the middle of that chapter, he talks about the fact that for the natural man, it means a person who doesn't know Jesus, spiritually, he says spiritually things are spirit, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So spiritual things are discerned by the spirit, not just by what we can work out with our intellect. And then he says to the natural man, spiritual things are just foolishness because they don't make any sense to him. To the person who doesn't know Christ, some of the faith that we exert and the hope that we have and all of those types of things, those spiritual realities, they're just foolishness. And people will tell us very openly that they're foolishness, you know? And I understand that. It's because that heart is still darkened. They haven't come to Christ. They haven't been born again. They haven't been filled with his Holy Spirit. And so it's no criticism. It's just the way it works. You got to have Jesus on board to be able to see and know the things of God. And at the end of that chapter, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. And that the mind of Christ is in the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. I'm not saying we all always tap into it. We for sure know that's not true. But we have the availability of the mind of Christ and we have the ability to tap into his mind. So what we need in all of this, all right, is to understand that there is this invisible spiritual realm and that it is the greater reality than this realm. And what we're here to do is to, through, through interaction with the Lord, through our intimacy with him, through receiving from him and and letting him change and renew our minds to think more the way he does through his word, through what the Holy Spirit does, we're able to take hold of things that already exist in that spiritual realm and bring them in and release them on earth. We can release truth. We can release his life. We can release healing to people that are sick. We can release the things that Jesus came to provide for us in this way. Does that make sense to you? All right. I've got two directions to go here and probably not enough time to do both. Let's, uh, if you would, go over to Philippians chapter 4 with me again, where we were during the offering teaching. I want to talk to to this idea today about this, um, this idea of a heavenly account because um, it's just kind of a, 
it's a term that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And I want you to see where this comes from. And so again, just to remind you, we talked about this at the offering in Philippians chapter 4. Paul begins to talk about to the Philippian church because they have sent, they have gathered and sent an offering to him for his ministry. And so he goes through a number of truths there about that. And he talks about the way that he had a very special relationship with this church and that they supported him again and again when he was in need. And in those days, it wasn't like he put it on his Facebook page. You know, they got that by the Holy Spirit and they sent an offering to wherever he was. And so he's talking about that generosity that was working in them and that act of giving in this case uh, that went on. And he comes down here in, in verse 17 and he puts it this way. He says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I do seek the profit which increases to your heavenly account, the blessing which is accumulating to you. All right, now this word profit, where he says I, in the Amplify, there are different terms used, but anyway, in in the Greek, the word profit, I seek the profit which increases to your heavenly account, the blessing which is accumulating to you. This word profit is the same word for fruit. It's the word karpos. It is, it is fruit. He's saying this act of giving produced fruit, which puts something in your heavenly account. So obviously the implication is there when fruit is born in our life, something is put in a heavenly account for us. The the term fruit in the Bible means the outward and visible expression of power that's at work inwardly and invisibly. The nature of the fruit tells you the nature of the power at work. Okay, so we can bear good fruit or we can bear bad fruit. All right, fruit is defined. You listen to me. Fruit is defined in the scripture as Jesus talks about. He talks about the vine and the branches. He talks about when we have this intimate relationship, this connected, intimate, growing relationship, this vital thing going on where his life is actually flowing through us and it produces an outward action. That's called, that's good fruit. All right. It has its source in him. It has its source in what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. It's not just us doing good things to do good things. All right. It's not us just deciding out of our flesh, well, I'm going to do this good thing. That's fine, but that's not what the Bible calls fruit. Fruit is initiated by the life of God in us. It is produced from the life of God in us, and it looks like the life of God in us. It is filled. Fruit takes the life of the tree and makes it expandable. People can eat fruit or animals can eat fruit. And there's also seed contained in fruit that can produce another tree. So fruit is something that takes the life of the tree and multiplies it, all right? So, so fruit is something specific. Paul is saying here that the voluntary giving in this case, and this isn't just about giving, it's about anything that we do, any outward manifestation of the life of God in us, But he says the voluntary giving of this church, which is an evidence of their faith, it's producing, it's it's fruit. And that fruit is laying up something in an account in heaven. And that's that's an interesting thing because we find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the fruit from our life, when, when we go before the judgment seat of Christ, 
the fruit, what he initiated, what those outward actions that were produced, those become, there is a reward for fruit in heaven. But works, which is just the stuff we do out of our flesh, good or bad, thank God for us as Christians, our names are already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We are going to be, we are going to spend eternity with Christ, whether we have any reward or not. But that's what it describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that there is a reward for the fruit that's born in our life. The works that we produce that the Bible describes as wood, hay, and straw get burned up going into heaven. And so we come out with reward for fruit. Is this making any sense to you? I'm kind of going through this fast this morning because I want to get to this point. It, Paul says here, That for the Philippian church, because this was spirit-initiated, because this is something they did that was a reflection of Christ working in them, he says there is fruit that that increases, and that word means something that produces a huge surplus. There is fruit that multiplies and increases to a heavenly account, all right? But when we get down to Philippians, this is the important part of this. When we get down to Philippians 4.19, where Paul, which we just read during the offering, where Paul says, my God will liberally supply your need according to his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. I feel like I'm doing a really poor job with this this morning. These people gave. That was fruit in their life. And Paul says, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm seeking is the fruit that multiplies to your heavenly account. And then he goes down and he says, but when it comes to your needs being met, my God will supply all of your needs, not by what's in your heavenly account from your fruit, but by the riches that are in glory by Christ Jesus. So even when we're bearing fruit in our life and we understand there is a heavenly account that somehow, and I don't understand this fully, belongs to us and that will turn into rewards in eternity. Okay, that's there. But when I go to pray and ask the Lord to meet my need, he's not going to meet it from that little account. He's going to meet it from his riches that are in glory by Christ Jesus. An unlimited account because of what Jesus did, the fruit that Jesus bore. Does that make sense? Jesus has an account. It's a lot bigger account than our account. And even though we have an account, that's not what God's going to draw on. So that's not where my prayer comes from. It doesn't come from, you know what, God? I went to church three weeks in a row, so I have this need. I was pretty good there. I read my Bible for a whole week. You know, I gave this. I did that. I served this person. So I deserve, or I'm praying for you. And I'm saying, you know, Lord, you need to take care of this need in Annie's life. You know, you you need to take care of this need because she did, she did some really good things. Man, I really received from the word she brought a couple of weeks. She, she gave to this person. I know some things she did in, in secret that people don't know that she gave and she did. So God, you need to meet her need. No, 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 no. 
that's weak. That's, and not only is it wrong, but that's weak. We, he has so much more than that for us. There's a heavenly account that is riches and glory by what Jesus did at the cross. And through that, he will meet our need. That account doesn't you know, go up and down. It doesn't change. It does, it's not based on anything we've done. It is fully by grace. And we receive through faith from that account. So it's just, a, it's just a place in our hearts where we know that, God, I know you've already created a supply. I know you already care about this. Lord, I just need to know how you, how you want to address this. But, Father, I know that whatever you do, it's going to be by grace. And I'm going to receive it with thanksgiving and gratitude. And it's all because of what Jesus did. Does that make sense to you? Okay, we've got about five minutes. Can you take a little more? I, want, I really want to get through these next couple of verses. And God, the only thing I don't like about what Annie does is she always loosens this podium to her. No, I know you didn't. It was Justin. Justin again. He had his last surgery on his hand last week and is doing very well, by the way. He took some metal out. Anyway, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at these. Let's look at at least a couple of these verses. Paul says here, this is another mind blower. You need to just go home and read this stuff. Therefore, we, meaning he and his team and people, do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear. How many of us and how many people around you in the last two years have become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear? It's all around us. He says, we don't go there. Even though our outer man, the things going on out here, are decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day after day. And then he says, For our light and momentary affliction, this slight distress of the passing hour. We don't have time this morning, but you need to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, and read the list of Paul's slight and momentary afflictions. Spending a night and a day in a shipwreck in the sea. Being beaten uh, with 39 stripes on his back, which killed a lot of people the first time. He had that five times. He had that beating from the Jews. He had, can't remember how many times he said he was beaten with rods. They would, that was a Roman deal. They would put their, they would lay him down, put their feet up and take sticks, poles and break all the bones in their feet. Paul had all these, and these, and he says here, our light and momentary afflictions. Uh, and this is just amazing. This was his perspective. It's ever more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory. This is how he perceived all of that. Beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations of vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. Verse 18, since, that word means because. Here is why I can be shipwrecked and float in the ocean for a day, for a couple of days, a day and a night. Here's why I can be beaten all these times. Here's why I can go hungry. Here's why I can have all these different things happen to me in life and I can consider it a light and momentary problem, okay? He says, because we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible. So think about this. 
anything you can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Any problem you run into in the natural world. The things that are visible, they are temporal. They are brief and fleeting. But the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Paul says, we, that's what we look at. We overcome discouragement. We build a legacy of testimony and glory in our life because they make the choice to focus. This word consider means perf- purposeful, mental consideration and contemplation of the invisible realities of the spiritual realm and the promises of God. Purposeful mental consideration. So in other words, when all this stuff's going on in life and he's facing all this stuff, it doesn't mean he pretends it's not going on. It doesn't mean he's not aware of the stuff that's going on and doesn't deal with this natural realm. We all have to do that. But it means in his heart, the invisible realities of what Christ has done and has prepared and what the kingdom of God is about in the earth, that is a far bigger consideration to him than just what he's experiencing. And this is the deal. I mean, this is the crux right here is is to whether we will take the time to give consideration to the things of God on a daily basis, spend some time and let God refresh our perspective on things. Or if we will just live reactive lives to the news and what this person's doing and that politician's doing and and this and that and oh no, this is going to happen. If that's what drives your life, you are going to be discouraged and utterly spiritless and live in fear. You're going to. But if you will, in the midst of that and dealing with that, give the primary consideration of your time and your life to what God has done, what God is doing, look I love the way it puts that. We look at those things which are invisible. We can look at those things which are not visible. One last, one last verse. Second um, Corinthians chapter five verse seven tells us. You, most of you guys know it. We believers walk by faith and not by sight. That is the normal method for us to walk. And that word means we walk all around and we handle all of our life. We, we, it, it's again, I guess I feel like I'm struggling with this this morning. I'm not saying we pretend the natural doesn't exist. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. The Bible tells us to know that the spirit realm, what Jesus has done, the promises of, of God are more vital, more alive, more lasting, more real than the problems we're facing on earth. And to take from that reality and release that into this reality, to live our lives by faith. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith perceives as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith perceives as real fact those things that our eyes and our ears and our our natural feelings cannot take in. Faith perceives as real fact. So Paul says, we walk, we choose daily to live our lives out of faith and not just by what we can see. The natural reality, the things we're facing, the, you know, what this boils down to, you know, again, just simple examples. We need to understand, if we're believing God for healing, we need to understand that 
whatever that sickness is, whatever that broken bone is, whatever that injury, whatever that is, okay, whatever that is, Jesus, not, he paid the price for it at the cross. And we were, that's why the Bible says it that way, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. We were healed when Jesus took that beating on his back, went to that cross and was raised from the dead. It already exists in his heavenly account. All right. And we perceive it and receive it by faith. It's not, oh Lord, I need you to do something. Jesus, I need you to come and heal heal me. It's, you know what? I know that this disease has no right to trespass in my body. And by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I have been healed. And we stand on that word and we have to ingest that word. This can't be just something that we, we, we say we believe. It's got to become a reality in our heart that's greater than the pain in my body. It has to be. And at that moment, we'll be healed. You know, and again, it's just one example. It's just, it's, it's whatever the need is, the provision has already been made. And I don't know how else to say it. We, we so often instead, we're looking at, we, we're walking by sight. And I will say that I've been healed when the pain goes away. Instead of realizing, no, I want the pain to go away. I need to grab hold of what's already done and the pain needs to go away. That's a wonderful thing to celebrate, but that's not when the healing came. The healing came when Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's true of every kind of need we can have. Is this making sense? Uh, it's just one of those things, darn it, we've got to get hold of this and we've got to live out from this. I, I'll just quit. Let's stand up and pray this morning. I could probably go on for a long time, surprisingly. All right, let's just pray together. Father, Lord, you know what? I just trust you, Holy Spirit, to take the pieces of this and impart them into our hearts and give us greater confidence in what is already done for us. Lord, in what you have already done for us, you have brought salvation into our lives And that doesn't just mean spending eternity with you. If that's all it meant, that would be wonderful. But it's not. It's a complete package, spirit, soul, and body. And Father, we want to not only receive that and walk in that and have that truth applied to our lives, walk in the fullness of what you died to give us. But Lord, we want to bring it to people around us. We want to bring it to people who are hurting and addicted, and broken, and full of fear, and shame, and all of those things, Lord, that you never intended for us to live in. We want to bring healing to this earth, Lord. You told us to pray that that your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, that's our prayer this morning. So I pray today, Father, that this one truth that you've already provided for us would get down in our hearts, that we could begin to walk more fully by it. And Father, that we could in that way carry your life out to this community, to our world, to the people we interact with. God, there are people all around us that we really care about that don't have your life in them yet. And Father, we want them to know you. We want them to have a living. We We don't want them to have religion. We want them to have a living relationship with the Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, Father. And I just pray this morning, Lord, too, as we're just closing up this morning. Father, if there's anybody here, certainly, but if there's anybody watching online that caught this thing, 
and you don't know Jesus, I just, I just pray, Father, that, Lord, that person that you would just be in that person's, just bring your presence where that person is. And that, Father, as they just say, Jesus, come into my life, that you would flood them today. Father, that you would flood them, that you would send laborers across their path, people who can lead them and to disciple them into a, just a greater relationship with you, Father. Lord, we pray for the people that are around us, our friends, our neighbors, the people we work with. Father, the ones that don't know you, we lift them up before you right now. And we ask you, Father, give us good seed to sow, words to speak, lives to live, Lord, so that we can bring your life to them. And we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to say on the count of three that Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And then we have, so I know there are snacks out there. We invite everybody to hang around, get to know one another. If you need prayer for anything, a couple of us will be up here to pray for you this morning. So come on up after service. Okay. All right. You ready? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church, people. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.